Please bow with me as we ask for the Lord's help this morning to receive his word rightly. Father, we thank you so much for this time of year where we focus again on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We thank you that God became man. We thank you that we have a high priest whose understanding he has been in flesh. And Lord, now he ever lives to intercede for the saints in heaven as the king of glory. So I pray in his name now, asking for help for myself to preach this word rightly, also to receive it rightly, and for all of us, Lord, to please have ears to hear this morning because you are speaking through your word always. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again and Merry Christmas. I'm so thankful for each one of you being here this morning. This will be the final message in the series that I've titled Two Kings. You might recall that for every Sunday uh, for this month, we have focused on um, a different attribute of each of the two kings that we see in the Christmas narrative. And those two kings are Jesus and Herod. Those are the two kings that show up in the Christmas narrative found in both Matthew and in Luke and the New Testament. The first one, we focused on the humility of Jesus and the pride of Herod. And in the second sermon, we focused on the truth of Jesus and the lies of Herod. The third, wisdom and folly. Last week, we focused on the fact that Jesus is Savior, where Herod was oppressor. And now the fifth and final sermon of the series, focusing on the greatest distinction between the two of them. I've titled it, Two Kings, God and Man. That's the greatest distinction between these two. One is God, and one is just a man. Yes, they both have the title king in front, but they couldn't be more different. I want to focus on the primary distinction that we see first off happening between these two kings when it comes to the fact that one is worshipped. And I want to talk about worship because God actually made man to worship him. God made man, Adam and Eve, in the beginning to be in perfect fellowship and perfect union with him. And of course it was man who broke that union. Eve being tempted by the serpent to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one law that God gave man in the beginning. Just one. And we broke fellowship with God. But we would have remained in perfect union with him otherwise. However, in God's wisdom, even the fall was a part of his ultimate plan for redemptive history. Because the bringing about of Jesus Christ to crush the head of the serpent and to conquer death would make a glorious savior of King Jesus, and we would love him even more. But only God is to be worshipped. And I want to just lay the foundation for this with the fact that worship is vital here. Because you might recall that when Jesus was tempted by the devil, one of the temptations from the devil to Jesus, Jesus was taken up, shown all the kingdoms of the earth. And Satan said, they've, um, they've been put under my power and I can give them to whomever I wish, which is why you see so many wicked 
people, vile, with so much wealth and so much power. But he tempted Jesus. He said, I'll give them all to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Remember the devil saying that to him? That was one of the temptations. Worship me. And Jesus responds by quoting the Bible, quoting Deuteronomy. He says, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We see the only God, even at the beginning, only God is worthy of worship. He's the only one to be worshiped. That's why, and I want to bring out these points. Now, let's go to the very last book of the Bible. The Apostle John is writing that book, Revelation. And in chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, listen to this. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, this is an angel speaking. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So he falls down at the feet of this magnificent being. Trust me, if an angel appeared in the room right now, we would all freak out. That's why the angels always have to say, peace be with you. Because they don't have peace when they see this shining being in all of its majesty. But it isn't even close to the majesty of God. But that presence of that being made this man feel like, I need to bow down to you. And what's the angel say? No, 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 don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. I'm like you and your brothers, he says. Don't worship me. What's he say? Two words. Worship God. This happens again in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. I, John, am one of am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed, me, who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets. With those who keep the words in this book, worship God. So even the angels in heaven understand and know that only God is worthy of worship. Okay? Point one. Main point here. Because what do we see happening to Jesus? This distinguishes him. Because what the angels say, don't worship me. What do we see at the birth of Jesus? What do we see at the birth of Jesus? Matthew 2, 2. The wise men. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to what? Worship him. Next, Matthew 2, 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, the wise men saw that he was worthy to be worshipped. The wise men saw it. Do you see it? Do you see that? Do you see that Jesus is worthy of worship? Jesus was also worshipped after his miracles. He was worshipped at his birth, He's worshipped at his miracles as well. Listen to this. After walking on the water, when he calls Peter out to him, Peter also comes out. We know Peter sinks because he looks over and sees the wave and he freaks out. And Jesus brings him up and says, why did you doubt? They get back in the boat, it says. Matthew 14, 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know what he didn't say after that? Don't worship me. I'm just a man. 
I'm just a fellow servant like you. We're only to worship God. He didn't say that. He received worship. After the man born blind was healed, Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and he washes and he comes back seeing. He goes to the synagogue because they say, we want to hear well, what's, what's going on. And he tells them what happened. They don't believe him. Brings the parents in. They say, yeah, he was born blind for sure. Well, they get mad at him because they say, if this man wasn't doing this by the power of God, he couldn't do a thing. And they kick him out of the synagogue. Jesus finds him. And he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He says, I, who am speaking to you, am he. And it says, and he fell down and worshipped him. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, whoa, no, no, don't do that. Jesus received worship. Why? Because he's God. Just like he told the devil, worship the Lord only. Him only shall you serve. So why is he receiving worship? Because he's God. Jesus was worshiped at his resurrection. Matthew 28, 9. And behold, Jesus met with them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. He's worshiped at the ascension as well. Luke 24, 50 through 52. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. See, that's the result of worshiping the right king is joy. And joy and happiness are two different things. You can have joy while your happiness is a little shaky. I think we've all been there. Maybe you're there right now. You can still have joy within you that nothing can touch. A peace that passes understanding even when your happiness is a little shaky, because happiness goes up and down. But joy is firm, and that comes from Jesus Christ receiving worship about all these different things. His birth, after miracles, resurrection, ascension, and there's so many others that talk about him being worshiped and receiving it, which is why I started off with the angel rejecting it. Because Jesus is God. Now, what about Herod? Let me give you some more history about King Herod. Every sermon that I've preached so far in this series, I've given you a little bit more tidbit of history about King Herod. Because the truth is, the Bible just doesn't tell us a whole lot about him. We learn a lot more about him just from history out there. Because the focus of the Bible is not King Herod. The focus of the Bible is King Jesus. So thank the Lord we get more information about King Jesus than King Herod. I don't really care about King Herod that much. I care about King Jesus a lot. So King Herod, listen to this. This is from Zondervan Academic Studies. They say this. It says, from the start, Herod proved to be an extraordinary political survivor. When civil war broke out in Rome between Mark Anthony and Octavian, Herod first sided with Anthony. Then when Octavian defeated Anthony, Herod immediately switched sides definitely a politician, convincing Octavian of his loyalty. Following his victory, Octavian returned to Rome, where the Roman Senate made him emperor. 
or supreme military leader. It's kind of one and the same. And gave him the honorary title Augustus. You know, Caesar Augustus, that's Octavian. That's when he got that title, Augustus, after winning that battle. So under the patronage of Octavian, Caesar Augustus gave Herod his position as king of the Jews. And because he gave it to him, it was secure. It's from Zondervan Academic Studies. So Herod became king through conniving and through compromise. Herod was appointed king by Caesar Augustus, a man who'd accomplished feats that the people here on earth say, wow, those are amazing feats. We shall give you the title of emperor. But these are just men giving themselves titles. These were earthly kings who'd give themselves earthly titles, and that's all they were, earthly titles. <laughs> and through being sneaky, choosing sides, whichever one best made your life the best, whichever one worked the best for you, changing allegiances with earthly titles. But Jesus has a heavenly title. Jesus has the title of King of Kings. Sure, Herod is called King Herod, but Jesus is called the King of Kings. All the kings. Jesus is over them. Listen to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is where we see the clearest picture that Jesus is called the King of Kings. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He's not a baby anymore. This is his second coming. Then one sitting on it, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that's crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a heavenly title. No man gave him to that. And he didn't get it through conniving or through compromise. He got it because of righteousness, fulfilling the righteous laws of God. All earthly kings are under him. They must bow to him him, because he is superior to them all. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and will either do it willingly or because we have to when he comes again. We'll do it from joy, or we'll do it from fear. But every single one of us will do it one day. Even those who don't believe Jesus is even real. Even the ones who believe this Bible is just a hoax written by men who wanted to create things out of their own fancies. One day, everyone will be convinced of its truth. And I pray that if you haven't been convinced of it yet, that you will be today. Because there's a, there's a Savior who came to save you from your sins. He's willing to take sinners 
any sinner who will come to him. In repentance and faith, he receives sinners willingly, gladly. It's the proud and the arrogant that repel him and that he's repelled by. Even when Jesus was wrapped in cloth and lying in a lowly manger, the wise men knew that he was the one to be worshipped. It says when, he's, when he comes again, I don't know if you noticed that, it says he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, but in the beginning he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a lowly manger. But they knew he was the one to be worshipped even as a little baby. Remember that prior to meeting King Jesus, prior to seeing King Jesus, they met King Herod. Remember that? They met with King Herod first. They had a dual king meeting. But their reaction to each king was very different, wasn't it? They didn't bring gifts for King Herod, did they? We have no record of them giving any gifts to King Herod. We have no record of them paying any homage to King Herod. We have no record that they they certainly didn't worship King Herod. But we have records of them giving gifts to King Jesus, paying homage to King Jesus, and worshiping King Jesus in the form of a baby. They knew he was worthy of more praise than any earthly king will ever be, especially King Herod. Especially King Herod. Jesus, even as a baby, was the king of kings, and the wise men saw that. Do you see it? Do you see it? The real thing that shows that Herod was truly just a man and only a man, is found in Matthew 2, 19, which I'll read in just a moment. But you might remember that an angel warned Joseph when Jesus was still just very young, just a small child. An angel warned Joseph, there's people seeking to destroy the child. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remember that? Matthew says, The fulfillment of that is when it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. So remain there, he says, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. But then we read just a few verses later in Matthew 2, verses 19 and 20. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. You want proof that these two kings are very different? King Herod died. Do you know why? Because he's only a man. All men die. Herod was just a man because he died like all men do. The Bible makes it clear it's appointed to man once to die. And after this, the judgment. As a descendant of Adam, Herod was under the curse of sin, as we all are in this world. The curse of sin is now upon us. That's why we see in the world death, decay, disease, destruction, suffering, death. We can't escape it. He couldn't escape death because Herod was just a man. King Jesus, however, he ever lives. See, he's so high a king that he has authority over death. He, 
defeated death. He holds the keys of death, we're told, in the scriptures. Keys represent authority. That's why the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke 1, 32 through 33, listen to this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That is significant. Sometimes we, if we're not as well versed in our Old Testament, which we're not all, I understand, and that's okay, little by little, we're all growing in our knowledge of the Word of God. That's extremely significant. He will give him the throne of his father, David. Let me tell you why. In 2 Samuel, a prophet named Nathan came to King David. They were friends. And he begins speaking to him. And this is where the Lord establishes a covenant with David. We call it the Davidic covenant. These are promises that God made to David. Listen. Listen to this. This is 2 Samuel 7. Verses 12 and 13, and I'm also going to read verse 16. When your days are fulfilled, this is Nathan speaking to David on behalf of the Lord. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's children, that's an Old Testament way of saying when you die. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The immediate fulfillment of that was King Solomon. The ultimate fulfillment of that was King Jesus. Some prophecies do that. Some prophecies have an immediate fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. More of that in just a second. But he goes on to say, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. How long? Forever. Your throne shall be established forever. He says it again, two times. Two times we get the word forever. And then prior to that, we get um, in verse 13, his throne will be, he will have a forever kingdom. So David, as great a, a shepherd king as he was, he only points to the ultimate fulfillment of who he is the greatest shepherd and king in one, King Jesus. And Solomon, as wise and as rich as he was, he only points to the greatest fulfillment of who he was, the wisest and the richest of all kings, King Jesus. And Jesus is the one who fulfills this prophecy ultimately. That's why the angel says, and the Lord God will give him this baby that's going to be born from you, Mary, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. Guess what word it says? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I promise you, Mary, as a good faithful Jew, perked up real quick when he said that to her. She was thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying this is the one? This is the one who's going to sit on David's throne forever? This is the one? That's the Messiah. <laughs> That's right, Mary. You nailed it. You got it. And that's why I read at the beginning, we get a bit more commentary of that conversation from Matthew when it says, and this was to fulfill what the prophet said, the virgin shall bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's God. 
Jesus is the one that's going to sit on the throne forever. You know why? Because he's God. Herod died. Jesus lives. Herod's throne, temporary, wicked. Jesus' throne, eternal and righteous. See, these two kings are so different. The wise men saw that. Do you see it? You see, when men die, they lose everything they've acquired here on earth. Everything. Even Elon Musk, as rich as he is, will not carry one red cent with him. Two seconds after he's dead, it's all gone. All gone. I don't care how much education you have and letters you have after your name, and maybe you even have your doctorate and people call you doctor. Two seconds after you're dead, you don't take that title with you into heaven or into hell. When Herod died, he lost all that power that he'd ferociously fought for while here on earth. I've already told you that he murdered wives, sons, when he was paranoid that they might be jockeying for his position. He murdered them. When Herod died, he lost that title he murdered others for to keep. When Herod died, he lost all that wealth that he had acquired at the expense of those under him through oppressive taxation. He was very wealthy. He beautified, he beautified Jerusalem big time. Huge building, big walls. One of the walls around Jerusalem is still standing there today, the Wailing Wall all at the expense of the taxation of the people under him. And he took none of it with him when he died, none of it. Even Jesus said, when the apostle says, Lord, look at all these mighty buildings. Aren't they awesome? Jesus said, let me tell you the truth about these buildings. Not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. All of Herod's accolades went falling down in the year A.D. 70 when Rome came in and raised it to the ground according to God's plan. According to Jesus' prophecy, it all came true. You know why? Because Jesus is God. What he says comes true. What Herod builds falls down. I'm almost finished. But Jesus only stepped into greater glory when he died. Herod lost everything. Herod, unless he repented, and we have no... <laughs> have no hint, not even a clue of that. The last act that we hear of Herod is him wanting to kill the Son of God. I doubt he's with the Lord. Maybe he repented. But it seems like had he repented, the angel would instead have said, hey, Joseph, wake up. Guess what, Herod? He's a Christian now. Well, okay, he's not a Christian. He's a God follower now. You can go back. He's, he's a good guy now. Go on back. No, he didn't say that. He said, he's dead. Now you can go back. He's not a threat anymore because he's dead. Herod stepped into hell that day. Jesus stepped into greater authority, greater power, greater wealth through his death and resurrection. He didn't lose anything like all men do when they die without Christ. Jesus said, in fact, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. All authority 
in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Upon his resurrection, he was reinstated back to glory where he was before. He had all of that, but now he had the title of Savior as well. You see, the fall of man wasn't an oops on God's part. When Eve ate the fruit, God wasn't up in heaven saying, now what am I going to do? Look at this. I even said it was very good. And now they ruined it. These rascals, what am I going to do? Angels, what do you guys think? No. The cross wasn't plan B. It wasn't. It was Jesus Christ isn't God trying to mop up our mess. It was planned before the foundation of the world so that we would love Jesus even more because now he's a savior. Let me ask you this. How many of you think, let me just use this example. How many of you think firemen are, are pretty cool guys? You like firemen? You respect firemen? Okay. How many of you have ever been pulled out of a burning building by a fireman though? Raise your hand. Okay. So I think firemen are pretty great too. I love firemen. I think, I think they're great. I think we should have them. I respect them when I see them walking around Walmart and things like that. I think, oh, look, there's a fireman. He's a, I like him. He's important. Do you think I would like firemen more if a fire started in my home one evening and the smoke was so thick by the time I actually woke up, I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe, I'm dying. In fact, the smoke is not only so thick. At that point, while I'm fumbling around trying to find my way out of the house, I run right into the flames and they're all around me and the flames are even licking at my flesh. And all of a sudden, some big, strong fireman, perfectly geared up, smashes through my window and grabs me and rescues me. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Do you think at that point... I would like firemen more than I did before? I would, wouldn't I? They were okay before. I mean, yeah, they're good. But oh my gosh, I'll tell you right now, that fireman that yanked me out of flames that were killing me, I promise you I'd never miss his birthday. I promise you Christmas, man, we would just smother him with all kinds of gifts. I'd be at all of his children's graduations. This man... I would love him. Why? Because he saved me. The fall of man was a part of God's plan so that we would love Jesus even more as a Savior. We love God more because of the fall. The wise men, I believe, understood this. And why, that's why they worshipped him. Do you understand this about King Jesus? I pray that you do. He is your only Savior. Father, we thank you so much for this time of year when we worship the God-man. Come to us as a lowly, humble servant, but also as a mighty Savior King. And I pray that every soul in here would come to know him if They don't, Lord. I pray for us that do know him, that you would help us to love him more. He's the king of glory. He's the king of righteousness. And he's the king of kings. 
and we're so thankful for him. And I pray in his name, amen.